Tardis, uh, me and Ben and Polly and the Doctor, all ready to make landfall, or whatever you'd call it in this strange machine. The Doctor said it was the Earth. We were home after our journeys. My friends, I, I think you'll find this place familiar. She's found her way back to England. Finally. Now then, uh, let's see. Preparing to materialise. Oh. oh dear! What's that? Oh, uh, my word, it's the proximity alarm. Hold tight, everyone. The enemy got hit by something called a train. Strophe, are you, are you all right, Paul? Yeah, yes, thank you. I mean, of course I am. Are you all right? Well, yes. I'm all right, too. Thank you for asking. Is the TARDIS all right, though, Doctor? I hope so. I do hope so. Now, let's see what we hit. The Doctor opened up a special window that shows what's happening outside. A huge, dark shape was moving away from us. It looked like a a line of wagons hitched together, but I'd never seen wagons move so fast, and something at the front was breathing smoke. There was a red lamp on the rear wagon. It seemed to watch us like an evil eye even as it disappeared into the distance. Oh, look at that. It hit her and hasn't even stopped. Drivers these days. Really? These days? When is this, Doctor? Hmm? Oh, well, uh, let's see. Uh, uh, according to the readings, it's the year 5681. Blimey. They're still using steam engines in 5681? Uh, uh, sorry, the, uh, the TARDIS is still rather unsettled. It was using the wrong calendar. The, the Hebrew one, I think. How many calendars are there? Oh, there's lots of them, Polly. Uh, Time, you see, can be subjective and and people measure it in different ways. Uh, The TARDIS keeps track of them all. Uh, Islamic, uh, Persian, Mayan. But uh, here we are, Gregorian. It's November 1920. No wonder it looks cold out there. Yes, yes it does. Uh, External temperature about five degrees. Would that be centigrade or Fahrenheit? Uh, Fair point, Polly. It's Celsius, in fact. Now, uh, judging by our coordinates, we seem to be in Kent. The Garden of England. Doesn't it look like a garden from in here? Uh, Yes, all right, Jamie. Uh, You better get your coats. Uh, We need to go outside. The TARDIS sounds wounded. Yes, yes, you're you're right, Jamie, it is. That train just struck it a a glancing blow as it materialised. I think it's done some damage and we we need to give it space to... uh... Heal itself? Well, uh, self-repair, I was going to say, but heal itself. Yes, it isn't too far off the mark. And you don't want foreign bodies inside something when it's healing. But the TARDIS knows us, doesn't it? It does, Polly, it does. But remember, it's it's, it's an alien thing. Its it's thoughts aren't your thoughts, or even mine, uh, sometimes. Come on, the sooner we leave it, the sooner it'll be ready to move on. So we put on our coats and went outside. It was getting on for dusk and no one seemed to be about. 
A sooty kind of smell was in the air. The TARDIS was standing right beside a pair of metal rails, and I realised that yon thing which hit us had been following them. The ground was flat and empty all around us. In one direction were some buildings, and in the other was a, a big black cave. The track disappeared straight into it, like something being swallowed. Oh, I didn't like the look of it at all. You were right about it being cold, Ben. Mm. Of course, it's nothing compared to being on watch in the Atlantic. I wonder what station this is. There's no one on the platforms, at least not as far as I can see. And I'm sure that we can trust your eagle eyes. Perhaps they're in the waiting room. But the place does look deserted. I think maybe it's just a wayside halt. That train didn't even slow down. What's a train exactly, then? What we just saw. A line of coaches with an engine pulling them. You know what a kettle is? Of course. Well, the, the engine's this giant kettle, and the steam from it makes the power turn the wheels. Oh, don't be daft, man. This from someone who's travelled in the TARDIS. Aye, but that's different, though. That's science. Uh, come on, we better report the accident to the signalman. The Doctor set off towards another building, which was standing between us and the mouth of the cave like a wee house on its own. I could see no doors or windows on the ground floor. There were windows all around the first floor and a flight of steps going up to it. I turned to Polly. What's that? A signal box. There's always someone in it to work the signals and the points, so that the trains don't crash. And over there, is that the entrance to a mine or something? No, it's just a tunnel, so the trains can go straight through a hill. Well, that doesn't sound like a good idea. There are things that live inside hills. In the dark? Oh. What's that red light next to it? A signal to warn trains not to go that way. Yes, there's danger, Jamie, but not the kind you mean. That's it. Uh, come on up. You'd better see there's four of us. Who's there? I, I, I'm sorry to disturb you, but uh, we've been involved in a, a slight accident. This is railway property, sir. I'm afraid the public aren't allowed uh, up here. Yes, yes, I understand that, but our uh, vehicle was just hit by that train. Your vehicle was on the line? Have you any idea how dangerous that was? Trying to get a better view, I'll wager. Well, you could have ended up topsides watching the proceedings from a cloud. You would have had a grand view then, much good it would have done you. You could have got these three young people killed. Yeah, I know that. I, I, I'm very sorry, uh, but we missed our way. Uh, no, no one's injured, thankfully, but uh, <clears throat> I wonder if someone ought to check the tracks. For pieces of your motor car? Well, I, I was actually thinking of pieces from the train. Uh, our vehicle, you see, is um, rather sturdy. <laughs> what is it, one of them tanks? Come on, you better step inside. It's cold out there. Uh, thank you. That's, that's most kind. After you, Polly, uh, then... Uh, Come in, Jamie. It's all right. It was just one room with a, a table by the window and instruments and dials on one wall. And set on the floor, a row of levers that a man would surely need both hands to pull. Well, at least it's a bit warmer in here. It is, uh, yes. Uh, very cosy. My word. Uh, is that a, a South Eastern and Chatham lever frame? Well, that it is, sir. So, you know about such things? Oh, it's just an interest that I have. Uh, human technology impresses me, you see. I, 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 um, I don't suppose that I could... Um, no, 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 I really shouldn't ask. I, a walker's two-position block. What, what proceedings did you think we'd come to see? Well, uh, the train from Dover, sir, of course. Of course. 
What's so special about the train from Dover? Be, be patient, uh, Polly. I, I, I'm trying to find out. Did you lose someone, sir, in the war, if I may be so bold? Fortunately not. Uh, at least uh, not this one. And the two young gentlemen, d- did they serve? Well, I'm still in the Navy. Uh, I fought with a Highland regiment. In that case, the least I can do is offer you a cup of tea. It's completely against regulations, mind, but today of all days, we will let that pass. So we all sat in yon stuffy room with a stove burning in the corner and the steamed-up windows getting darker as the dusk came down. So when was you in the war then, mate? No, I was here. I would rather have fought in France, of course, but I had my job to do. I'm sure it must have been terrible for you lads. Well, it was pretty rough. Ow, Duchess! I suppose this must be a lonely job. It is, miss, but a signalman must be alert at all times. Dreadful things happen otherwise. Oh, I'm sure they can. Take the accident at Hall's Junction, for example. That was back in 1910. <laughs> you would have been a mere child, miss. It was Christmas Eve. Before dawn, on a black and rainy morning... The signalman forgot there were a couple of slow engines on the line and he sent an express through after them. It hit them at full speed and was wrecked. The wooden coaches smashed and burned. Trains were still lit by gas, you see, in those days. Twelve people lost their lives that day. Oh, gosh. Or or, or take St Bede's Junction back in 15. Another early morning, in thick fog. The signalman didn't notice that a bank engine was waiting on the line. He accepted an express train and a good strain after it, and they all piled into one another. Nineteen people died. Struth. And you'll remember Quintin's Hill, of course. The worst train crash this country ever had. Of course. Uh, you, you're familiar with it, Doctor, aren't you? I'm uh, afraid I am, Polly. But I'll let this gentleman explain the details. It might have been five years ago, but to railwaymen, it seems like yesterday. The signalman moved a local train from the down main to the up so that the night express could pass. But then he forgot he'd left the first train there and a troop train coming up the line ran into it head on. And then the night express crashed into them. All three trains burned. Over 200 souls were lost, with some of the bodies never found. Most of them were soldiers of the Royal Scots. Dear Lord. So you see... We have to keep our wits about us. But, of course, the drivers make mistakes as well. I could tell you some tales about signals past a danger... Actually, if I could step outside and get a breath of air, it's getting a little stuffy in here. Yeah, I'll come with you, Paul. Aye, me too. Well, uh, don't stray too far, and make sure that you don't step on the line. Yes, be very careful out there. I haven't brought you all this way just to see you get knocked over by a train. Now, well, well, sir, in the accidents you mentioned, would I be right in saying Rule 55 was not observed? You would indeed, sir. It's good to talk to somebody who understands these things. Excuse me, is there a waiting room at the station? I'm afraid the station's closed, miss. It it will be uh, locked up, I fear. Now, sir, uh, Rule 55. uh, A prudent regulation, but more honoured in the breach than in the observance, I would say. So we went back into the cold. Everything was very quiet. It was nearly dark. Yon tunnel seemed to gape like a a black mouth. The red lamp burning next to it looked brighter. In the other direction, in the distance, I could see a lantern glowing green. 
We walked beside the tracks towards the station. There was a yellow lamp outside one building. Otherwise, the place was sunk in gloom. I was glad to see the TARS was still standing where we'd left it. But it didn't seem so welcoming. Just a black shape, almost hidden in the dusk. What's a bank engine, anyway? Well, Ben, if you don't know, I'm sure I don't. So I get it that these trains were just a terrible idea. So when did folks stop using them? Um, they didn't, actually. Here. Is that someone on the platform? Where? There. I thought I saw some bloke, but he's disappeared into the shadows now. Perhaps he doesn't know the station's closed. Maybe we should tell him. Let's walk up onto the platform and... Jamie? Why are you hanging back? This place doesn't feel right. It's a bit spooky, I'll grant you, but that's just because it's dark. There's nothing to be frightened of. This is England in the 20s, after all. All the same, he's onto something, Paul. I feel as if someone's just breathed down my neck. Look around. There's nobody behind us. And yet my gut is telling me that we was followed from that signal box. Somebody is watching us. Can you not feel it, Polly? It's that signalman's stories. Honestly, they'd be enough to give anyone the horrors. Perhaps it's just this man Ben thinks he saw. Well, seeing as we're here, let's see if we can find him. Hello? Is someone there? What did he look like, anyway? I just saw this dark shape in a long coat. He was under the light and then he moved. I never saw his face. But he was human, wasn't he? Of course. Stop! What? Too many feet. Is that him? Oh, my tummy just turned over. All right. Perhaps he just don't want to talk to us. Well, let's see if the waiting room's open after all. He was wrong. It isn't locked. Come on, we can get out of the cold. Now, I wonder where the light switch is. Oh, goodness! What? There's someone in here with us. Well, sir, if you care for another cup of tea, I'll tell you the story of the Phantom Light. Ah. And, uh, what does that mean? That's a call to attention, sir, from the previous signal box. Uh, Let me acknowledge it. There. Tonight of all nights, I can't help being reminded of that song which I believe the young lads sang when they were marching off towards the trenches. The bells of El go ting-a-ling-a-ling. He's asking if the line is clear, so I repeat the signal back to him. Which means that I've accepted it. But more than that, of course, it's an honour to be entrusted with this train. Of course, of course. Is it the royal train, then? Oh, no, sir. Not the royal train. The king himself is waiting to pay homage to a special passenger. A young woman emerged out of the darkness, dressed all in black. But her face was very pale in the light from the lamp outside the door. She looked like she'd been crying, and she stared at us with eyes as deep as wells. Oh, excuse us for barging in, I told her. We must have given you a fright. You certainly gave us one. 
I wouldn't worry, said the girl. What's the point of being frightened if one doesn't care whether one lives or dies? I'm sorry to hear that, I said. Are you on your own here? Would it help to talk? She was obviously upset, poor thing, so I gave the boys a look. They took the hint eventually and stepped outside. I shut the door quietly. My name's Polly, by the way, I told her. Hello, my name is Frances, said the girl. The room was dim, just a pale gleam at the windows, and I felt like I was talking to a ghost. Did you realise that the station's closed, I asked her. Oh, yes, she said, and that's why I came here. The other stations on the line will be too crowded. Everyone wants to see him pass. See who pass? Who do you think? The one we've all been waiting for. A hero on his way home from the war. But the war finished two years ago. For you, perhaps it did. But it still grinds on and on for some of us. This is the unknown warrior's train. You must have heard about it. They brought him back from France today. To be buried in Westminster Abbey. Yes, of course. I hesitated. So, did you lose someone over there then? Yes, I did. My dear fiancé. So I had to come and honour this brave man. I took a breath. I'm sorry we disturbed you. Don't worry, Frances said, but she was losing her composure. I thought I'd rather be alone, but I've been alone for years. Shh, it's all right. I put my arm around her. She began to shake with sobs. Come on and, and sit down here. Although the chill was bitter on the platform, I was relieved to be outside. I've seen what kind of grief war leaves behind. When you, you march away to fight, you can imagine being killed. You, you believe that you could bear that, but oh, you, you can't bear to think how your loved ones take the news. No sign of that bloke who was hanging round. But the silence still felt eerie. Like a, a night camp with the fires put out, awaiting an attack. So, what war was this then, Ben? The First World War. A world war? Was it against aliens? Nah, against the Germans, mate. Oh, man, there's nothing ever changed. There was a German king we fought against. Was it? Well, yeah, I suppose it was. But this was the worst war anyone had known. There must be tens of thousands of women like poor Francis still pining for the men they lost in it. And who's this unknown warrior, then? That's the old point. No one knows. They took this unidentified body from the battlefield at random and brought him back for an hero's funeral to represent all the lads who died and especially them as have no grave. Just thrown into a pit, you mean? Afraid so, if they could find them. But for some it could be even worse than that. My uncle was in the Navy and he fought in the Battle of Jutland. Thousands of sailors died that day and the sea is the only grave they ever had. Oh, that's a cold and lonely resting place. But so is a moor in Scotland. The ones who drowned were the lucky ones, he said. Uh, I still don't like it here. It feels like we're intruding. We should leave that poor girl to her grief. 
How long will the TARDIS take to heal itself? Search me, mate. We'd better ask the Doctor. The Duchess will be all right in there while we nip back for a word. We went towards the signal box, past the dark shape of the TARDIS. It felt as lifeless as an empty house. Tell you what, though. The Islanders were fearsome soldiers in the First World War. Ah, I wouldn't doubt it. I heard the Germans called them the Devils in Skirts. Ah, oh, did they? <laughs> the ladies from hell. Uh, is that right? In fact, stone me. Did the airs on the back of your neck stand up just then? Is there someone behind us? Blimey, look at that! The lamp on the top of the TARDIS has started glowing. For a moment, we just stared at it. I had an awful thought that it had woken up and was going to leave without us. But there was no noise from the engines. The light just slowly waxed and waned again, with a rhythm like a, a sleeping giant's heartbeat. It cast a ghostly gleam across the tracks. What does that mean? Is it telling us it's ready? Come on, we better let the doctor know. Hang on, what's that? I thought I saw someone moving. In the entrance to the tunnel. There, see? Better eyes than me, man. There was someone there. Perhaps we scared him. Maybe it's some tramp. Or it could be someone else who wants to see the unknown soldier passing by. Do you think it's the man you saw before? Who knows? But whoever he is, that's a stupid place to hide. Come on, we better warn him that the train is on its way. Ben, uh, I wouldn't get too close. Don't worry. I reckon this is close enough. Do you need any help, mate? Can you see anything? There's someone there. More than one man, though. It's true, there's a whole crowd of them in there. And now they're coming out. My God. My God. What is it? Jamie, move. They're coming this way. What? Quick, go on, get up the steps. Well, I climbed, of course. But halfway up, I had to take a look. Come on, come on. But I could only see the darkness around us. There was no sound of any footsteps from below. I looked towards the tunnel and I caught a glimpse of movement where the red light bled into the shadows. In heaven's name, man, what was it you saw? The blokes from the Lion. My uncle's ship. The ones who died at Jutland. Oh, that's not possible. The doctor said there's no such thing as ghosts. I'm telling you, I saw them. Drowned men? No. No, not drowned. Their fate was worse than that. Worse? How? My uncle never spoke about it, but I found out later on. One of the turrets suffered a direct hit, and the blast set off all the charges that were waiting to be loaded from the working chamber all the way down to the magazine. If they hadn't already shut the doors, they would have lost the ship. But 60 men were at their posts when the fireball came roaring down the shaft. Heavens! But how do you know it's them? Because they're just how I imagined they would look. Oh, and I could see them now. Oh, not in detail. Just a, a mass of dim shapes creeping slowly from the tunnel's mouth. It was hard to make them out, but they had a, a kind of glow about them, like rotting fish in a dark cellar. Oh, they put a chill of dread into my heart. I carried right on up the steps and Ben was at my heels. Doctor! Just a moment, Jamie. <clears throat> so, after the Taybridge collapsed, this fellow saw a red light on the far side. That was the account he gave. He thought it was the tail lamp, which meant that the train had safely crossed the bridge. But in fact, the train was already in the river, and all its passengers were lost. So that phantom light has never been explained. Doctor, please! There's things happening outside. Things? Uh, 
What sort of things? Well, you know, the sort of things we've come across before. When? On our travels, Doctor. The kind of things that no one else has seen. Uh, oh, 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 my word. Uh, <clears throat> do you mean um, visitors? They were in the tunnel, a lot of them. And now they're coming out. What's this? Trespassers on the line? Have these people got no sense? What's that? Message from the previous signal box. Train entering the section. He's at the far end of the tunnel. These people are obstructing it, you say? They were, but now I think they're everywhere. I've already accepted the train. That's why my colleague sent it on. He'll be past my distant signal now. So when he sees the home signal, he won't have time to stop? Precisely, sir. But at least he'll put his brakes on. I can't send him through with people on the tracks. I'm going to have to stop him at the station. Tonight of all nights, there'll be hell to pay. The man went over to our row of levers and pulled one back. And I heard a noise. Between us and the tunnel. You'll see number 21 on as he comes out of the tunnel. Now number 20, in advance of us. This time the noise was a hundred yards away from us at least. I looked towards the buildings and the green light there had suddenly turned red. As if by magic. I reckoned it was science. Uh, Jamie, Ben, what was it that you saw? They look like dead men, Doctor. Men who've been burnt and then buried at sea. Aye, and they're coming right towards the signal box. Oh, and there's another thing. The TARDIS lights come on. Has it indeed? Let me see. Ah, yes. What? It's automatically testing every circuit. Pulling itself up by its bootstraps, you, you could say. How long will it take? God, here's the train! I turned and saw it come out the tunnel. A massive iron beastie snorting smoke. The lamp at the front was glaring like the cold eye of the devil. We watched it pass below us. It was pulling three dark wagons after it. There. He's slowing down. He's seen the signal. Now, where are those damn trespassers, you saw? But it was hard to see much of anything outside with the lights on and the windows all steamed up. I opened the door and went on to the top step. Between here and the lantern at the station, the darkness seemed as thick as soot. The train was coming to a wheezing halt. Then I looked down, and everywhere I saw them. Dark shapes moving in the dimness with a ghostly glimmer of decay, walking slowly like advancing soldiers towards the station where the girls were waiting, not knowing that those things cut them off. Thank you.
opened the door and went on to the top step. Between here and the lantern at the station, the darkness seemed as thick as soot. The train was coming to a wheezing halt. Then I looked down, and everywhere I saw them. Dark shapes moving in the dimness with a ghostly glimmer of decay, walking slowly like advancing soldiers towards the station where the girls were waiting, not knowing that those things cut them off. We sat together in that dim and draughty waiting room. Frances was crying quietly against me. I'm very sorry, I said to her. It's obvious how much he meant to you. I'm sure that he died bravely. Oh, I wish he'd been a coward and stayed alive. She gave me an almost guilty glance. Isn't that a dreadful thing to say? No, I said. I don't believe it is. She wiped her eyes. At least your friends came through it in one piece. May I ask where they served? Well, I said... Ben was in the Navy, and Jamie was a piper in a Scottish regiment. She hesitated. Did he fight on the Somme by any chance? He doesn't talk about it, I said truthfully. Of course, she said. Another pause. My fiancé was on the Somme. Not that terrible first day. I used to tell myself that that was a mercy... But now I think the real mercy would have been to fall in that first attack and never see the frightfulness that followed. My brother once said it was like trying to cross a never-ending graveyard where he had to fight for every tombstone, every vase of dead forgotten flowers. Your brother, I said cautiously. So he came home then? He did. But he hasn't been the same man since, she said. I felt I was treading on eggshells here, or unexploded bombs. And now the war is over, have you had a chance to pay your last respects? She smiled sadly. You mean, have I seen my fiancé's grave? I'm afraid that no one knows his resting place. Oh, I said, I'm sorry. We just sat for a few moments. This idea of the unknown warrior, do you find it helps at all? She brightened then a little. Oh, yes, he's touched the heart of the whole country. Everyone's thoughts will be on the Abbey tomorrow. The most admired soldier in the Empire. It hurts, of course, but I'm so proud of him. Proud, I said. Yes, I... She looked away. No, you'll think me foolish. Of course I won't, I said. She sniffed. It's just that I'm certain it's him they're bringing home. Who? Your fiancé? Yes, I know it sounds like wishful thinking, but I feel it deep inside. Well, I said, I'm sure it could be him. And even if it isn't, any man who fell can represent them all. Francis nodded. Yes, of course, but in my heart of hearts, I know it's Michael, and that's why I had to come and watch him pass. She sat up straighter. 
Listen, that must be him. Polly, will you come outside with me? Yes, I said, of course I will. I took her hand and we went over to the door. I could see the glaring headlamp coming closer, but it sounded like the train was slowing down. Is it meant to stop here then? I asked as it came into the station. Frances shook her head. Oh no, it's supposed to go straight through. There were just two vans and a carriage with the blinds drawn. I wondered which one he was in. Francis's fingers tightened round my hand. I knew why, because I had the same reaction. There was something horrible about the train. It felt as if no one was on board at all. Oh, said Francis, stepping back. One of the van doors had opened and a man in uniform was standing there. A sergeant, judging by his stripes. Pardon me, miss. Where is this? he asked. We're just outside Canterbury, said Francis. He looked troubled. We're not supposed to stop here. What's the hold-up, do you know? Well, I said, uh, it looks like a red signal up ahead. This is most irregular, he said. We can't afford to be delayed, not when we've got him on board. Francis took a deep breath. Is he in there with you? He looked at her. Yes, miss, that he is. I wonder, would you let me see the coffin for a moment? I'm sorry, miss, that would be more than my stripes are worth. Oh, please, said Francis, fighting her emotions. The funeral's tomorrow, miss. You can see his coffin then. Can't you just look the other way? I asked him. The poor girl's lost her fiancé, you know. Everyone's lost someone, miss, he told me. Now, if you'll both excuse me, I need to talk to the captain. He's in the coach, and I have to say that if he sees you here, he won't be pleased. I don't think he's closed that door properly, said Francis. Oh, don't even think it, I said. She tugged at my hand. I only need a moment. I looked towards the rear coach. He's only talking to his officer. I'm sure he'll be right back. And then I saw them. Figures at the far end of the platform, beyond the light cast by the lamp. A group of shadows lurking in the dark. Francis saw them too. Are those your friends? she asked. But no. Oh no. I didn't think they were. From where I was standing in the doorway of the signal box, I could see the two girls on the platform, standing by the train under the lamp. The shadowy figures were creeping through the darkness, closing in on the station soundlessly, as if it was a, an enemy camp they meant to seize. Oh, it made me think of the, the night march that we made before Culloden. And I knew I couldn't simply stand and watch. I put my foot on the first step. Hey, Jamie, wait! You need to know what's out there. I have to warn the doctor. The way that beast is breathing smoke, they'll not hear me even if I shout. So I started down the steps. Stopped. There were people waiting down there. I could just make them out of that pale, decaying glow. And I saw that Ben was wrong. They weren't burnt sailors. They were highlanders in rags of tartan, black from days of lying on the moor. Jamie, 
Why did you leave us? Betraying your clan, your flesh and blood. Come down and join us now. No, I, I was saving the land. You must believe me. Come back here, mate. That's it, I got you. You look like you was about to fall. They're not your uncle's shipmates. They're the Bonnie Prince's army. They didn't run. They gave their lives. And now they want mine too. Listen, mate, I know it's dark, but they was wearing naval uniforms. What the hell's going on down there? Who are they? Dead men risen from their graves. Ah, drunk men risen from their beds, more likely. We get a lot of them round here. They come back from the war and think the world owes them a living. Are they close to the train? They're between us and the station. I'll move him on to the next signal, then. There we are. Now, I'll go down and give those hooligans what for. Now, now listen, my uh, my dear fellow. I, I think that we'll be most unwise until we know what's out there. Don't worry, sir. This is my section, and I'll deal with them. There was something strange about those people. Something that was wrong. Then Frances squeezed my hand. The signal's changed to green, she said. He must be leaving. She let my hand go. Frances, no, I called. She climbed into the van, and I went after her at once. Come back, or we'll both be in such trouble. Then I saw the coffin on its trestles, with a Union Jack draped over it. Oh, Michael, Frances said. I took her arm. There, you've seen him. Now come away. But it was too late. The train was moving off. The lasses have just gone to the train and now it's on the move. It's not going very fast, though. I don't know if the next section is clear. So we can't go further than my starting signal. I could see the figures going after it following the red lamp on the back of the last wagon, like a a swarm of black moths following a spark. The Duchess is away, at least. Not far enough, she's not. Ben, Jamie, are they physical, or could they just be spectral images? Are we seeing things, you mean? No, no, I I don't mean it like that. They could be a a phenomenon that that was no power in the real world. I'll tell you if they're real or not. No, sir, listen. You you, you can't, you you really mustn't. Right, you lot. You're trespassing on railway property. You see that train? It's carrying an hero. And whether you men have served or not, I'll wager you're not fit to lick his boots. Clear off. What are you waiting for? Who are you? Oh, Lord. Come on, they're closing in on him. No, don't go down there, mate. All right, all right. I see you've done your bit. I would have served as well, you know. God help me. Get away. Get away, Carol. Uh, uh. And then he screamed And screamed again as, as if all the devils in hell had pounced on him I could see yon figures clutching him As he tried to climb back up They dragged him down to join him And his body seemed to wither in the dark Like a fly in a web being sucked dry by a spider And then they raised their empty eyes to me They killed him So they're real alright What are they doctor? A ghost? That, that poor man. Are, are they ghosts? Well, I'm not sure there are such things. At least not as they're understood on Earth. Are we safe here? Will they come for us? Oh, they may do, Ben. 
So we need to be prepared. We have to understand just what we're facing. You know, you said they looked like sailors who'd been killed during the war. Yeah. But Jamie saw something different. The, the Highlanders he, he fought with. Aye, no doubt about it, Doctor. And the signalman. Well, he said something to yon creatures that, that he could have served as well. So he, he saw them as soldiers too. I, I wonder. Shh. No, it's still quiet down there. As I was saying, Ben, I, I wonder if the TARDIS might have some bearing on this. But how? Well, think about it. This country has been ravaged by the worst war in its history. There are soldiers being mourned in every home. So millions of minds are focused on the journey of that train, on that nameless man and all he represents. And where's the TARDIS? Right there in the middle, with all those thought waves pouring in like a, a radio signal thrown into reverse. I'm afraid it might have given them some kind of substance. But why do we see them in the way we did? I, I suspect it's the TARDIS's telepathic circuit. Perhaps it was damaged when the train hit us. It's picked up the memories that you associate with war and projected them onto those things outside. But they're not just in our heads, though. No, no, no. They've coalesced into the real world. As that poor signalman found out, their touch is fatal. Oh, oh, oh dear me, I... Imagine it. They represent a universe of loss. To come into contact with them would link you to it. You'd feel the, the grief of millions in a moment, and it would destroy you utterly. Are they being drawn by this unknown warrior's coughing? Yeah. Yes, that must be a, a sort of focal point, if you like, Jamie. And Polly's on the train with it. We, we have to rescue her, and, and Francis too. But how can we get near them? Even if they stop at the next signal, those things are between us and them. How far is the next signal, anyway? Well, there's a, a track layout on the wall here. Let, let's see. Uh, the train is on the up line towards London. The platform signal was number 20, so they should stop here at number 19. Distance from the signal box, uh, 400 yards or so. That sounds like a long walk in the dark. What if we change the signal? Then they can get clear of the influence of the TARDIS. The problem is those thought soldiers or whatever they are, might not just fade away. If they cling to the train and follow it to London, there are thousands of people waiting for it there. Oh, I dread to think what would happen if those things move out amongst them. It would be like some awful chain reaction, spreading death and madness throughout the crowd. Listen. What? Them soldiers. Are they solid? Well, they, they might interact with the physical world. Because something started coming up the steps. The train came to a stop again. I looked out through the door. The station lamp was some way back and there was nothing around us but darkened railway tracks. It's all right, said Francis. No one will disturb us. There's no door through to the next van. She was standing pensively beside the coffin. Do you think he rests in peace under that flag? He died for king and country. That's what everybody tells me. I would much rather he'd have stayed alive for me. I went across and touched her arm. You know he would have if he could. Why else did he ask you to marry him? But sometimes things just happen that don't give us any choice. She took hold of the flag. I tried to stop her, but she pulled it to one side. 
The coffin was made of sturdy-looking oak with a medieval sword fixed to the lid. The king donated that himself, said Francis. I squeezed her shoulder. Come on now, say goodbye to him and... Oh! Because I'd just seen what was standing in the corner. The dark shape of a soldier, watching us. Oh my... said Francis, looking at him. So at least I knew I wasn't going mad. What does he want? I whispered. She was staring, mesmerised. Perhaps he's been sent to guard the coffin. Sent by who? I asked. The vicar took a step towards us. He had a tattered outline, but his face was still in shadow. What do you want with us? I asked as firmly as I could. He's dead, said Francis. He must be dead. Oh, look how he's been hurt. Ever since the day they marched away, I feared they would finish up like this. And as he took another step, the dim light from the doorway began to creep across his face, or what was left of it. For a moment, I was petrified with horror. But then I remembered the sword. Perhaps we could ward him off with it. I tried, but it was bolted to the lid. When I looked up, there were more of them, as if they'd just come oozing through the wall. Oh, but this can't be real, I said to myself, as much as Francis. Nobody could survive those injuries. You poor men, said Francis faintly. How you must have suffered, and she took a step towards them. No, I told her, stay away. She looked at me, then back at them. How can I? They died for us, like Michael did, and now they've come home with him, a guard of honour from the grave. Watch out, I said, or they'll take you back with them. But Francis was staring at those mangled figures. They want me, Polly, she said softly. How can I refuse? Perhaps, perhaps they'll take me back to Michael. The leading figure was reaching out to her. She extended her own hand, then stopped. I sensed her bafflement. It feels as if a wall is in the way. I was suddenly reminded of two magnets repelling each other when both poles are the same. It must be because you're reaching out as well. You're not afraid. Oh, Polly, yes, I am, she said. But I take pity on them too. I realised then that her pity was the only thing that was holding them at bay. It's difficult to look at them, said Francis. I know, I said, but please be strong. Don't waver. They'll know it somehow and they'll come for us. should we do? We should see who's there. I've got my duck, Doctor. Thank you, Jamie. But where I was out there, I, I don't think we'll need a knife to deal with it. Who goes there? And a muffled voice called Friend. Another soldier. It could be a trick. Yes, it could. But sometimes we have to take things on trust. Uh, advance, Friend, and be recognised. A man was standing there. Not black and rotting like the ones I'd seen though the coat he wore was as ragged as a beggar's. He had a soldier's cap on and a scarf wrapped round his face against the cold. He stared at us, 
as if he thought that we might be the spectres. Don't be alarmed. We're all alive in here. What's happening outside? The man took a step into the room. There are spooks of some kind all over the place, he said. I swear that their mates are left in France. A whole battalion of them. I reckon they've been waiting for the unknown warrior's train. Was you the man at the station, then? Yes, said the man. I was waiting for the train and trying to keep out of that woman's way. Then I heard that poor bloke crying out. I had to come and see if I could help. But he was long past saving, though. The soldier nodded. I saw him fall, he said. But when I reached his body, he looked like he'd been lying for a month in no man's land. We think we know what those things are. The shock of any contact would destroy a person, mind and body. But they'll let you pass. Not like yon signalman. Yes, yes, they did. <clears throat> you, you said you were in France. Uh, may I ask you... Um, sorry, but... Uh, did you see the worst of it? The soldier hesitated, and then pulled his scarf down. There was a dreadful scar across his face. It wasn't a thing I'd to look away from. I, I've seen a claymore leave a gash like that. Ben hadn't been in a war like me, but he's got a strong stomach. And the doctor, well, he looks right past such things. I, I, I'm sorry, my friend, but it maybe that's what saved you. Those things have been born out of grief and loss, but you went through the horror and survived. Yeah, whatever their nature is, they have no power over you. They, they might not even sense that you're there. But the girls are still in danger, though, Doctor. Hi, yon train has stopped again. I can still see its red light. Yes, it's waiting at signal 19. Here. Now, if we clear the signal, those things will be turned loose. We think they've been drawn by the unknown warrior's coffin. If they're to be stopped, we'll have to confront them there. Confront them? Yes, I, I know, Ben. It's, it's a daunting prospect, but I've always found that things work out if you only take the plunge. I've been in battle, Doctor, but those things saw me all right. Then our friend here will have to lead us through them to the train. Would you do that for us? The soldier stood up straighter. Willingly, sir, I have marched through hell. I'm not afraid of spooks, he said. Now, if we all hold on to him and fix our thoughts on nothing but the train, we should get through. Oh, oh and, and please don't call me sir. You're, you're, you're your own man now. So this is Ben and, and Jamie, and uh, people just call me the doctor. Pleased to meet you, said the soldier. Thomas is my name. And so Thomas led us down the steps. I could see the darkness stirring as those things sensed we were coming. To my eyes, they were still the men who I saw dying on Culloden Moor, the shadowy remains of a lost army. It's truth. It's like the crew of the Invincible down there. Was that another ship? My uncle saw it blowing up. The magazines exploded and a thousand men were killed. The sea shall give up her dead, they say at Navy funerals. It looks as if they've all washed up right here. My viewer, anyone who calls their ship invincible has given a hostage to fortune. But what do you see, Thomas? Thomas stared into the dark. My mates from the Royal Welsh Doctor, he said. The ones who fell trying to capture Mammoth's wood. They died and I survived. But they don't blame me. The fortune of war. That's all it was. I still feel guilty, though. Are you all right to lead the way? Ah, good man. Ben, Jamie, shut your eyes. Don't let them get a hook into your minds. Thomas turned to Ben. Here, put your hand on my shoulder, mate, he said. 
That's how we used to manage leading men back from the trenches when the gas had blinded them. So Ben put his hand on Thomas's shoulder. I put my hand on his, and the doctor laid his hand on mine. I closed my eyes and we started down the tracks. I could feel the presence of those things on either side of me. A cold, much colder than the dark, and a dampness that seemed to get into my bones. The doctor said they were made of grief and that the air tasted of tears. But they wanted us. I, I sensed that much. As if our lives could somehow make them warm. They used grape shot on us, Jamie. This is what it does. Look. I kept my eyes tight shut and felt them groping out for me. I knew that if any one of us lost his grip, we would be drawn apart and overwhelmed. But all the time, the doctor's hand was firm upon my shoulder, while Thomas led us forward and the wraiths gave way to him. Sorry, boys, I'm coming through, said Thomas. The war is over now. Why don't you rest? Lord, this is hard, Doctor. I'd rather face machine gun fire. Keep going, Thomas. Step by step. Past the station now. No, sir! What? Some officer just asked if I had permission to abandon ship. He says I'm needed. Q turrets on fire. Ben, Jamie, whatever you hear, don't listen. The only voices are in your heads. Those things are memories. They don't have mouths. I risked a look ahead of us. We were nearly at the train. We were sitting in the dimness, wheezing smoke with the red lamp at the back lit like a warning. There were figures all round it, watching us. And maybe Thomas's memories were flowing into mine because... Now they didn't look like Highlanders, but men wearing brown uniforms and rusting steel helmets. Their faces, white as flour. Eyes, like holes. Which van are they in, do you think? I'd say the one with the half-open door. And then we halted. Thomas, what is it? Thomas was breathing heavily. I'm sorry, mates, he said. I can't go on. But we're almost there. They can't escape without us. We have to lead them clear of the train. She needs me, yes, said Thomas. But I can't face her. Blimey. You mean Francis? Thomas looked at him. She thinks I'm dead, see? It's better that she thinks I died in France than see me like this, my, my face messed up. She'd never be able to look at me again. But you followed her here. I came to watch this unknown warrior passing, Thomas said. I wanted to see her comforted by him. Perhaps you underestimate her courage and her love. Aye, her faith, man. A soldier has to come home from the wars, or why else do you go? The poor lass still grieves for you. Will you leave her here to these ghosts? Thomas took a, a shaky breath. All right, mates. Together then. To no man's land. Come on. said Francis. I think I might faint. I can't bear this much longer. Hold on to me, I said to her. You mustn't doubt yourself. The shapes moved a little nearer then, 
Their hungry, eyeless gaze was terrible. And then another one began to climb in through the doorway. Get away from us, I cried at him. You can have your unknown warrior. But Francis gripped my hand. No, Polly, this one's flesh and blood. She saw the deep scar on his face and gasped aloud. Oh, Lord! The ragged soldier looked away. No, don't, she blurted out. I want to see... You've suffered, but your face seems so familiar. The man stared back at her and then said, Francis. Michael! She swayed and grabbed the coffin for support. Oh, don't faint now, I said. But I don't understand. How can you be in the coffin and out here? She said to him. I'm not in the coffin, girl, he said. That's someone much braver than me. He died for freedom. I didn't even have the guts to come back home. Then, to my immense relief, I heard Jamie from outside telling Michael to hurry because the things were closing in. Michael, what are they? Francis said. Just shadows, he replied. Memories left over from the war. Now take my hand, you too, miss, and I'll take you out of here. The figures at the far end of the van were creeping closer, but Francis only had eyes for Michael now. There's no need to turn your face away, she told him. It doesn't matter what they've done to you. Do you doubt me? Look, I'll swear it on the unknown warrior's sword. I love you, Private Michael Thomas. Welcome home at last. She laid her hand on the sword, and the sword began to glow. Mind out, love, said Thomas, reaching out to pull her clear. But she kept hold of the handle. It's all right, she said. There's no heat in it. I was watching through the doorway of the wagon. Francis's hand was on the sword and Thomas's hand on hers. It was glowing blue-white, getting brighter by the moment, and the brightness pushed the dark shapes back, like sunbeams cutting through the morning mist. What's happening, Doctor? Those things have met something stronger than themselves. So much pain has been poured out on that coffin. That warrior's lost so much, even his name. But Thomas there was a living, unknown soldier, and now he's been accepted back. It's thrown the tide of grief into reverse, breaking the focal point, you see. The light was streaming out now, through the open doorway and through every crack. The figures were melting back into the darkness, dissolving like swirls of musket smoke or the ripples left behind by drowning men. Is the TARDIS doing this? I think it is, Ben. First, it gave those shadows substance, and now it magnifies a ray of hope. Reversing the polarity, you might say. They've gone. The sword's just plain metal again. Michael, does that mean they're at peace? Thomas, or was he Michael, shook his head. They already were at peace, miss, he said. It's only the living who are restless. Oh, <coughs> I don't want to hurry you young people, but this uh, this train needs to be on its way. Come on, Duchess. Let's help you down from there. Oh, thank you, Ben. That was a bit too close for comfort. I've had enough of 1920. Doctor, is the TARDIS ready yet? Thomas looked around at us. Doctor and friends, whoever you are, I, I don't know how to thank you, he said. Uh, <laughs> don't mention it. D- don't mention it. Well, 
we'll see you to the station and then I ought to clear the signal. A lot of people are waiting for that train and one poor man has died so it could pass. Francis came and took my hand. Goodbye, Polly. Thank you for standing with me. I just did what I could, I told her. It was your courage that helped to see them off. Your kindness, too. They couldn't stand against it. Michael here's a very lucky man. One of the carriage windows opened and a soldier put his head out. A living soldier, thank the Lord. You fellows, he called. What's happening out there? We've been patient long enough just sitting here. I'm sorry, sir. I'm afraid there's been a problem up ahead. You'll soon be on your way again. I hope so, said the soldier. This is a most important train, you know. Ah, here we are. Lever number 19. <laughs> I've always wanted to do this, you know. <laughs> and from the doorway, I watched the train moving off into the night. Carrying the coffin of yon unknown warrior, the red lamp on the last coach dwindling, growing dimmer, and it disappeared. Tomorrow he'll be buried in Westminster Abbey, uh, among the poets and the kings, and nobody shall ever know his name. Hmm. The universe is infinite and full of mysteries, uh, but this one intrigued me more than most. I, I sometimes think if I could control the TARDIS, I'd, I'd be tempted to find out who he was. But that would be to miss the point, of course. Doctor, when we were talking to yon poor signalman, you said at least you'd not lost anybody in the Vest War. Have there been others there? Well, Jamie, if you've lived as long as I have, we're, well, you're bound to encounter such things along the way, I'm afraid. And when we were walking through those shadow soldiers, we were seeing our own memories. What was it that you saw? Ah, nothing that was really there. But, but I'll tell you something, Jamie. There are places where even a traveller like me can go but never come back to again, however much he wants to. There are roads we take away from loss when it's best not to look back. Now, come on, let's join the others at the TARDIS. Oh, one more thing I... I have to do. I believe that means that the train has cleared the section. Well, let's get out of here before the next one comes. Doctor, Ben told me this was a, a world war. So is the world at peace now? Uh, yes. Yes, it is, uh, Jamie. Uh, until the next time. As someone wise once pointed out, only the dead have seen the end of war.
Hello, I'm Ian Atkins. I'm the producer of Companion Chronicles, the Second Doctor box set, Volume 1. Hello, I'm Lisa Bowman and I am directing today. Um, the two young gentlemen, d- did they serve? Well, I'm still in the Navy. Uh, I fought with a Highland Regiment. In that case, the least I can do is offer you a cup of tea. It's completely against regulations, mind, but today of all days, we will let that pass. I wanted a period where Ben and Jamie get to know each other a bit better because towards the end of, of sort of Ben's period in the TARDIS, they clearly have found a kind of common ground and reached a kind of understanding and agreement. And I thought, no, I'd like to see that a bit. And so my, my pitch to, to John was, was basically do what you like, but I'd, I'd like kind of like Jamie and, and Ben to have a scene where they, they do kind of begin to realise that they're not as different as they think. It's interesting because when I first read this, I thought, oh, this is almost more like an early adventure. Mm. But there again, you look at the structure of it and... Um, obviously traditionally with some um, companion chronicles it is just one person's story I think we're still very much concentrating on Jamie as Mm. it being Jamie's story but there of course there are these sections that are Polly uh, telling her side of the story as well I had originally on my script kind of cut out Mm. all the he said she said and thought that uh, we were going to put it in situ so you get the um, room ambiance or whatever kind of reverb or atmosphere you have Mm. in a voice when they're in the scene Um, but actually that combination of straight reported speech with in situ action I think works in this because it's a very strong story oh, so I don't think we, you know we agree on that I think oh yeah no I became clear actually as we were going I didn't quite understand the format and I mean Jack Rayner very kindly eventually sent me this you know quite comprehensive list of kind of how it works yeah. but by which point I mean John who, who wrote this one had already been commissioned and yeah. I, I delivered about two drafts my name's John Pritchard I'm the writer of the story The Mouthless Dead Ben Jamie whatever you hear don't listen the only voices are in your heads those things are memories. They don't have mouths. The day um, the Unknown Warrior came back from France, it was a huge event. It was as if all this sort of pent-up mourning that had followed the end of the First World War came to a release. And um, apparently there were people lining the platforms of the stations that the train passed and a huge crowd waiting in Victoria Station in London. And the um, the body lay in state in Victoria Station, I think, overnight. And then there was a state funeral in Westminster Abbey the following day, the 11th of November. For someone who hasn't written a lot of Doctor Who, and it, although he, he loves Doctor Who, wouldn't describe himself as a massive fan, I, I was amazed with just how little of it needed any changing at all. And uh, and Jack Rayner, who was the script editor on, the, on these stories, sort of got through it very quickly. And um, next thing I knew it, we, we were in studio. Uh, let's give it a whirl. Thank you. We went towards the signal box, past the dark shape of the TARDIS. It felt as, if, it felt as lifeless as an empty house. The lamp on top of the TARDIS had started glowing. For a moment, we just stared at it. I had an awful thought it had woken up and was going to leave without us. But there was no noise from the engines. The light just slowly waxed and waned with a rhythm like a, a sleeping giant's heartbeat. It cast a ghostly gleam across the tracks. I'm Fraser Hines and I play Jamie McCrimmon. I was able to do what I call Jamieisms. I was able to slip those in. Um, the writers and the script editors didn't mind. Um, uh, in The Two Doctors, for instance, you know, I, you know it said... Um, Oh, Doctor, yes, he, I was listening at the window and he said he was an androgram. And I said, well, Jamie wouldn't know the word androgram. So can I say 
he says it was an angry man. That's what he's heard. He, she, he, he's working with an angry man. And then Patrick goes, you don't mean Andrew. Ah, that's the one. That's the... When did you first meet Fraser? Fraser, I met. Poor blimey now. That's a long time ago. Because I thought I sort of knew Fraser, because my brother knew, knew him as well. They lived close to each other, my actor brother. And um, I should know. Because, I mean, obviously I've been... Been working for Big Finish for seventeen years now. Now, assuming they've had that, they've had the a license for Doctor Who for sixteen years. So, any time between now and then, uh, probably. <laughs> but he's very easy. I mean, he he's keyed into the old voices so easily. Mm. And of course, we we now know how splendid is Mr. Troughton is. Oh, absolutely. And uh, and that's been a real asset to not just to this series, but to the the early adventures as well. We've been able to expand with him and now with with. Um, uh, Elliot Stroke Rob because mm. we all know that that's not his real name <laughs> um, uh, Elliot playing um, Ben now I'm Elliot Chapman and I play Ben No sir, what? Some officer just asked if I had permission to abandon ship He says I'm needed, Q turrets on fire I must admit when I read it, it's a lovely script um, but I, the first thing I did, the, oh I've got you know things from the signalman here and and uh, knowing a little bit about my television science fiction i thought oh it's a little bit sapphire and steel but yet totally doing its own thing as well you know which is always in the great uh, what, what good writers do they steal and then make it their own and do lovely new things with it if I remember right, you found... I found it, yeah, I did. Uh, I mean, it was only because uh, I'd had a message from Sonny Ormond, who I'd worked with before. She she plays Lillian in The Arches, but I'd used her on various productions that I'd directed in the past. And she teaches radio at the Bristol Old Vic Theatre School, which is my old college. And uh, she and Sue Wilson, who was then the d- director of acting there, had dropped his name to me. He had then dropped me an email with a showreel, and I thought, oh, he's rather good. Tell you what, though. The Islanders were fearsome soldiers in the First World War. Ah, I wouldn't doubt it. I heard the Germans called them the Devils in Skirts. Ah, oh, did they? <laughs> the ladies from hell. Uh, is that right? In fact, stone me. Did the airs on the back of your neck stand up just then? Is there someone behind us? Blimey, look at that! I don't think radio is probably the first medium that a lot of young actors think of anymore. I mean, the, 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 the tutorage at most colleges will, 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 will cover radio and audio. Um, also, Elliot had taken part in a thing called the Carlton Hobbs Award, which is a very good um, standard for radio acting. It's actually a radio acting award amongst all the drama schools. And if somebody has taken part in or has been on a, t- on a drama school team for the Carlton Hobbs, it's usually a pretty good guarantee they know what the medium is. And I'd always kept him in my famous little black book. And then it was literally, David said, oh, there's this part. And weirdly, he just popped into my brain first of all. I mean, the, the email had come in quite a while beforehand. Hang on, what's that? I thought I saw someone moving. In the entrance to the tunnel. There, see? You've got better eyes than me, man. There was someone there. Perhaps we scared him. Maybe it's some tramp... Or it could be someone else who wants to see the unknown soldier passing by. Do you think it's the man you saw before? Who knows? But whoever he is, that's a stupid place to hide. Come on, we better warn him that the train is on its way. And I sounded him out. I think I was actually there aware that he was a Doctor Who fan. And it was it was like somebody had sort of 
put his hand through my screen and dragged me through with all these capital letters going, oh my God, when I said, would you be interested in playing this part of um, Ben? And I was explained the history, obviously, to a man who already knew it. <laughs> and uh, and what's been very apparent is that not only uh, has Elliot done his homework, but he has a great respect for Michael and in no way is he trying to reinvent the wheel on no, this one. And, uh, and he's managed to pay respect to him and done him great uh, and, and made it his own as well oh. and I, I think we've been extremely lucky which is why we're going to use him ruthlessly oh i hope on. so I'm... hello i'm annika wills and i play polly it's just a joy to be working it's, and it's fun working together isn't it oh enormous fun yeah we do i very mean that's well. the that's the uh, icing on the cake really for me because if you can have a good relationship with your cast. I mean, you know, we're all professionals and everything, but you get that little extra thing underpinning yeah. it. It's a, it's a, hopefully a little bit of chemistry and, and it's glorious because we talk outside of the studio as well and then you can pick up on certain inflections and tones and go, oh, yes, I know where we're going here and you can almost start to complete sentences and it makes it really great and when you're playing the parts. It's lovely because mm. it's for, for me, it's it's Polly and Ben, you know, reincarnated. Are you happy, Monica? Yep. On your own time. There was something strange about those people, something that was wrong. Then Francis squeezed my hand. The signals changed to green. He must be leaving. She let my hand go. Francis, no, I called. She climbed into the van, and I went after her at once. Come back, or we'll both be in such trouble. It's been fascinating watching the the story being performed, Um, listening to the actors putting my words that I've written down into reality and also seeing how efficiently it's produced and very effectively um, put into what I hope will be the effective final form. I quite like the stories that are, are um, set in sets we know rather than a space station. You know, you, you can... And it, they're all so well written anyway. You can see this train going to the tunnel. You can see it stood there and... You know, the steam coming out and the, the red light and the bad. Um, but I quite like those. Um, it's a good story about the almost like the zombies as well. It's just kind of a zombie esque story. And then, yeah, John came back with uh, I think his first pitch was um, uh, basically a sort of a ghost train based around the, the the story of the the train of the the unknown warrior, which was a thing. I mean, I, I wasn't aware of it at all. And looked up and read up on this a bit, and you you end up discovering that actually. This was the equivalent of the time of the Diana funeral, and it was just almost hysterical. This country has been ravaged by the worst war in its history. There are soldiers being mourned in every home. So millions of minds are focused on the journey of that train, on that nameless man and all he represents. And where's the TARDIS? Right there in the middle, with all those thought waves pouring in like a, a radio signal thrown into reverse. We had quite a lot of debate about what causes the ghosts in the story. Um, and, and David Richardson especially was very keen that we had uh, good reasoning behind it. If they cling to the train and follow it to London, there are thousands of people waiting for it there. I, oh, I dread to think what would happen if those things move out amongst them. It would be like some awful chain reaction spreading death and madness throughout the crowd. Listen, what? Them soldiers... Are they solid? Well, they, they might interact with the physical world. Because something started coming up the steps. 
was good, that was good, that was good. Do you know, if we're prepared, Rob, can we have a good yell of scream of yeah, death? We'll be okay for prepared for that? Yes, So I you can, can give in. it some hell after yeah. Getaway and the Scream. That would be lovely. Yeah. Let it run for a couple of seconds as you're being surrounded and whatever you're done to, done to, if you yeah. see what I mean. So uh, creep in, scream of fear, and then probably scream of agony. <laughs> I would have served you. Yeah, yeah. Get, yeah. Away, get away from me. Give me another getaway, actually. Give me two getaways and then uh, screaming into that. Surely. That would be lovely. I mean, talking to him yesterday, it was fascinating. I mean, the depth of research he's done is yeah, just absolutely. astonishing. But down to working out which... I mean, I can't even really get my head around this, but the which area of the palate and, yeah. and where in the mouth he spoke from absolutely and, and also it's, ha- it's how uh, Bet Ben's voice changed between series yeah. and things like that so uh, I think even from the first off you know when he came to the studio for the first one I think David Richardson and I looked at each other and went ah oh, yep Thank you. (laughs) Okay, fine. We're allowed to do this now. There's always going to be a caution to whether the fans are are going to accept it. Uh, I think also um, politically, Elliot is so good at um, at having done a couple of conventions, Mm. at showing his enthusiasm to find somebody who's good and shows the legend that is Doctor Who, uh, and and also shows respect to the people who who will ultimately buy the audios. So we're all very pleased about that. 